to introducing our our guest. Guests. Our guest is here. Uh, the, hello. Uh, hello. Let me bring you in. Look at oh, look at that, and it works and everything. Sorry, I'm just complaining. I'm having just I'm just complaining about the internet wrestling community and how they just complain all the time about every angle. Nothing's good enough for them. They say one thing, they get that one thing, and then they complain about it, and it, it drives me nuts. It's it's the double edged sword of wrestling. The beauty of what wrestling is and how it works allows yeah. for a lot of passion, and sometimes that passion leads to good comments and great investment from the wrestling community more so than other industries. And then sometimes it leads to more passion leading towards negativity. So yeah. the, the way I look at it is you get a bit of the best of both worlds. It's like with Star Star Wars, right? It's been around so long. It's a similar culture where the passion is second to none when it's good, but also it can get toxic. Very toxic. I mean, we could discuss uh, The Last Jedi if we want, how people <laughs> hated that. And uh, I thoroughly enjoyed that one, but I think I have a different perspective because when the new Star Wars movies came out, um, they all fell on my birthday and uh, around my birthday. And I would bring every year that was my present. I would take my kids. I have three daughters. I'd take them uh, to see the movies with me in the theater. So to me, it was a great experience. So I didn't really matter what I saw. But then a ton of people hated The Last Jedi, and and I can see why, but I don't know. Just enjoy it. You know, like I always say, like uh, uh, wrestling isn't as finite as, let's say, sports in the sense that with sports you have a end goal, right? It's you win a championship, there's an off season. With wrestling, it, 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 and as a result of that, even if you have complaints, at the end of the day, a win is a win. You know, a team that wins a championship, even if you have your arguments, there's still some level of credibility. Right. Uh, wrestling isn't as finite because there isn't that stop end goal, right? There is not a season end. So there's, which is what's great about wrestling and what I and many others love about wrestling, but because there's a constant continuation and there's so much history behind wrestling, okay. especially with WWE, that I think that kind of creates more dialogue and more interest, right? Like I said, so you get more passionate comments and more like diehard fans in our industry than you'd see in other industries. But then at the same time, because it's not fine, other people can, to some extent, move from that end goal of uh, a Super Bowl or a Stanley Cup championship, right? It's like, yeah. despite the complaints, they move on to the next season. They have their hopes and investments in the next season. With wrestling, not being as finite, it, it, there's always dialogue that we can go back to, right? It'd be, it's harder for wrestling fans or people within the community, even, even wrestlers themselves, to let go of something. <laughs> Do you think wrestling having an off season would benefit the business and the wrestlers i i guarantee you can make a case for both very very positive incredible arguments to both sides and much like almost any debate that i listen to my answer is almost always somewhere down the middle yeah so perhaps the wrestlers individually may have an off season but the program itself is continuous throughout the year, right? So a wrestler may have nine months on, three months off, or perhaps you don't make it as as stuck to a three-month gap where you lose momentum. Perhaps every two to three months you give someone two to three weeks off, right? Yeah. Almost like having your uh, quarterly vacations in a sense right. from, your, from your day job, right? 
and the talent kind of have their resets and you, in a way you can almost have that go in line with let's say for a company like WWE or other companies that have active pay-per-views or big shows you know some talent that are more prominent on your roster I mean not everyone's going to have the big storylines or the big spots perhaps uh, if they have a run of a few months and uh, they're kind of going through the cycle the next pay-per-view that's reserved for other talent perhaps that's a good time for them to be off and, and kind of get that reset it's physically and mentally refreshing for them. And it may be also refreshing for the fans to, you know, not see them for a bit and see what's up two, three weeks later. I mean, yeah, everyone can debate that, but uh, yeah, it, it's a tough, it, it's a tough question for the fact that it hasn't been done on yeah, one of the bigger stages. Right. So we're all talking in hypotheticals. Yeah. So good intent. For sure. Um, but let's get back to the ring a little bit here. Uh, back to your your upbringing and your start, and then, you know, and then we'll get into Smash Wrestling uh, and all the greatness that is Canada. Um, you you fell in love with wrestling at probably I think it was Piper, right? I think uh, yeah, Piper absolutely. captivated you. What was it about him uh, at such a young age that that made you fall in love? Like part of you know. Truthfully, I always tell you, I tell people uh, what about it captivated me. And to some extent, now that I'm older, I think like I'm being presumptuous, but like yeah. uh, he was loud and he was charismatic and he was in your face. I'm like, to some extent, Hogan was too, but yeah. I don't know if it was just ultimately the timing of, you know, a, you know, four-year-old, five-year-old seeing him or because my uncle got me into it. I watched him once or twice them. Or if it was just that this particular guy in that particular promo was just, you know, so larger than life. But growing up, being aware, whether I was 10 or 20 or 30, I was still aware that that's the guy who got me hooked in. And that feeling of that guy's magnetism never changed. And, like, I feel like there's a certain generation that knew of Piper perhaps through, like, the top 100 rankings or just, you know, when you're diehard or something, you hear about the legends. But... It was very refreshing to see him back in the ring, for example, when he confronted Chris Jericho. And, and then people are reminded, like, whoa, this guy has the crowd in the palm of his hand. Whoa, he's the only one who's, like, shut down those what chance. Whoa, like, this guy just told a hell of a story for the Chris Jericho Make Your Work match. And, you know, he's cutting a promo like no one else on the roster. Yeah. He still has it. Like, he showed what he brought to the table. And, like, that guy brought emotion found ways to make everything matter yep he, I, I think when you're a kid you don't understand the context of that but at the end of the day what we learn as wrestlers in wrestling is visuals and facials matter more than you realize that's the subconscious things that you learn like tommy dreamer was always said that he would crawl and it's not just that he would sell he'd, he'd reach out for one fan he'd look for that one fan that cared and he would fucking mean it with his heart and then it's like you get that guy, you might get the 10 people around him. And even if you don't, people see a little more rawness in what you do. And I think Piper brought that. He brought this thing that it would, you can never look at it and say, well, that guy's acting. It's hokey. It's like, whether you liked him or not, whether yeah. you dug wrestling or not, it's like, yeah, that guy's talking with some rawness. You know, it's, it's very real. Yeah, for sure. And I remember those promos back then. Uh, they were uh, captivating and they were passionate. And uh, so I definitely can relate. And another thing I can relate to that I learned, uh, fanatic wrestling fan, 
like at a young age growing up, going through school, uh, as I was, so I definitely related to this. You you had your own little faction with your friends at school. Yeah, <laughs> so I don't. Uh, it's, uh, it's it's funny. I, I run these weekly uh, seminars, and I had a guest of mine. Uh, you guys, I don't know if you guys know Kyle Edwards. He used to work for WWE. He was Art of Cal right here in Canada with the Right After Wrestling program. He's a good friend of mine, and he never lets go of this story. And he brought it up to the class where. Uh, in grade nine of my high school, it was a massive high school for big population, and uh, I, I gravitated towards a lot of the people who liked wrestling. And uh, back then, like uh, I guess probably because I liked uh, the likes of uh, a Piper, I, I, I gravitated towards Kurt Angle in my high school, and everyone was like big fan of Undertaker. And I guess they had me had a program at that time. So some of my friends and others they they decided they were dead man Inc. <laughs> and I was trying to think of a name to do with like Team Angle or something. And then one of my friends said, no, we're Foss. I'm like, what the hell does Foss mean? He's like, FOS, Friends of Sebastian. <laughs> <laughs> every time this story gets told, it, it's far more funny to others than me for some reason. But like, it just, for me, I just couldn't comprehend. I'm like, you know, this big wrestling fan. I'm like, no, the name needs to be epic. And uh, our my group of friends just rallied behind that uh, name. And there was a day where we did this whole like 10 on 10, like rumble style thing where we're legitimately trying to beat each other yeah. without actually harming each other yeah. like just exactly what you think uh teenage kids would be trying to wrestle for and sure it just got out of hand where more people showed up than we thought and garbage cans were being thrown a guy with his crutches was trying to trip people the french teacher almost got super kicked uh, it was a it was a hell of a <laughs> I mean, it's like I always, I always like to tell people when they see like those crazy fans out of shows, like look at that guy with his belts or whatnot. I'm like, I'm like, dude, I'm like, whichever fan you think is the craziest fan that even the fans kind of give a side eye to. I'm like, in high school, I was, I was far worse, and like I use worse contextually. Like, yeah. I was super crazy wrestling fan, doing hand gestures in my like grad photos and all that. Like, <laughs> you want like Matt Hardy? Any anything that's potentially embarrassing, where like I could relate anything non-wrestling to wrestling and uh and i tell everyone if i didn't become a wrestler whatever show you, you're booked on i would probably be there going crazy and you'd be dying for me to shut up <laughs> yeah uh i just thought it was funny the the faction in, in the wrestling stuff you did growing up in school because i can remember doing the same thing we would like just all meet and we'd have these matches and just i mean we were trying to do little st it's just is it was a crazy time uh but I, we grew out of it. You didn't. You were that crazy wrestling fan uh, that, that, you know, goes to the events. Uh, but it was an indie show that yeah. you ended up going to where the light bulb hit. Like, maybe I should, maybe I should uh, you know, take that leap. Take this chance. Uh, prove to people wrong that said I couldn't be a wrestler because I'm too small. Well, I never that. thought I'd, uh, I, I'd be in that position to believe that it's actually possible. Right. Like, the fast track of it is, like, I think my story to some extent is almost like any other fan, right? You grow up thinking WWE is the only thing that's wrestling, yep. right? And then you get so into it, you read like online dirt sheets or whatever, even just like a, a general wrestling site on ESPN nowadays or Slam Wrestling. And then you're like, oh, there's something called Ring of Honor. And then you feel like you're underground or an insider, right? Yeah. And then, then you realize there's a couple of these indie shows. You're like, wait, what? There's like, there's grassroots. And then uh, for me, it's like, all right, everyone told me you'd never be a wrestler or like, you know, you're not, you're not over six feet. You're not in the U.S. You got to, 
And I'm like, yeah, I can't go to WWE's Performance Center. I don't have a, you know, American citizenship. They're like, my parents won't take that gamble when I got to go to, a, you know, college university. And then one day through those websites, I see there's a show in Toronto. I was like, wait, what? And then you go to that show and then like uh, you're, you're reading up on the show on the same website and uh, it's affiliated to a wrestling school in Toronto. And I'm like, wait, what? There's a, there's a school in Toronto. And the second that happened is the first time I legitimately, because I bought into what anyone else would tell me that, um, you know, you can't be a wrestler. You're not big enough. You got to go to the U.S. And I'm like, this opportunity is technically possible. And that was the first time that I can comprehend. I can make a decision. And I'd always think, I always thought if the decision was there, I'd, I'd probably pass. And it took all three seconds to be like, it's here. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take that leap of faith. I got to at least try. Yeah. It's, 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 yeah, I grew up being a big sports guy. I played sports. I, I you know, I lived in these sports, but like wrestling was up there with it. Right. And, uh, I, 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 I dabbled myself in a lot of sports, uh, for years. And I guess like that curiosity with wrestling, I, I had to at least be satisfied. I had to give it a shot at least. Um, so this takes you in, in is this where you end up going to a uh, squared circle? Yeah, training, uh, Sports Circle Wrestling in Toronto under Rob Fuego mm-hmm. and uh, Cobra Kai. Uh, that's more common name nowadays. Cobra, but Cobra <laughs> with a K. Right. Yeah. And uh, it was it was an interesting uh, place to be. It was the right place to be. Like I did my homework and I I, I emailed a bunch of these indie guys, whether or, and notable or not notable, just asked four or five questions for feedback going into wrestling training and you saw some consistent answers about, you know, uh, eyes and ears open, mouth shut, uh, pick a credible school. And like they said, it was constantly with uh, Scott Demore and uh, and Tyson Dukes in Windsor and Toronto for, for me with a uh, sports circle. I'm like, all right, it's got to be one of those two schools. And at the time I was going to school in the Toronto and Oshawa area. And I was like, all right, my parents don't know I'm wrestling mm-hmm. uh, training. I want to do this wrestling training. I still got to do school full time. Um, going from like the Toronto area to Windsor four days a week isn't feasible uh, after school no less in traffic <laughs> and it kind of worked out in a way because uh, I used to was a head trainer there at uh, Canada and Windsor uh, he, he became a mentor for me very young in my career and till today he's not only a stable mate of mine now we can talk about stables but he's legitimately one of my best friends so like I feel like I've learned just as much, if not more, from him uh, over the years with the rapport and friendship we've had, uh, just as much as if I was a student. So I feel like I got, you know, lessons I would from both schools in, in that sense. So I was very fortunate. Um, you, you you brought up your 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 parents, your family. What what did they think when you told them you want to be a wrestler? Were they uh, for it? I, I didn't. <laughs> uh, so so like uh, right off the get go, it's. Uh, I've been very blessed and fortunate with the relationship I have with my parents. Like, uh, I have little to nothing to complain about. They've always been supportive, whether it was with school, with sports, with whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. They're, they were in our great parents. And, but, you know, and I can't look at it as a negative way, but they saw that kid that was crazy obsessed with wrestling, jumping off his, like, desk drawers onto his bed and breaking his bed with, like, Shawn Michaels' top rope elbows and, uh, every Saturday morning, he'd watch Saturday morning cartoons. But you know, when cartoons ended at noon, it was wrestling, and he wouldn't miss for that. Like, 
And even when I was a teenager, there was this unique opportunity to go see the Prime Minister of Canada through a family friend at this private function. And I refused to attend because Triple H was coming back to Rod Madison Square Garden. And my big rule was I caught Raw Live. I wouldn't watch the reruns. I wouldn't miss an episode. Like, I was that smug. It was like an eight-year run where I wouldn't miss Raw yeah. or SmackDown. Yeah. And yeah, I told you, as crazy as a wrestling fan can get. And so in the back of their mind, surely, every time I'd watch and they see how obsessive it is, they're like, hey, just don't become a wrestler. You go up, you can get hurt. And it's like, anything you'd expect the parents to say, right? And uh, so my understanding was, I'm going to do this. <laughs> I don't want them to know. So I, I'd go to, you know, I'd go to school and the gym four days a week, quote unquote. <laughs> and eventually, uh, I think my mom flew in with like my wrestling bag and started limping a few times. And uh, truthfully, the first few years, they, it's, it's incredible. They weren't keen on it, but despite not being keen on it, they were supportive yeah. of me because they always loved me. So like, even though I knew they weren't keen about it, it was crazy. They'd still come to the shows and just be like, make sure you don't get hurt and whatnot. And it's like, I feel like I appreciate that much more because it's easy for a parent who would like it and support it to be there. But for someone who, for parents who are wary about it to still support, you know, that means tenfold to me. And uh, especially nowadays, uh, ever since I transitioned to going from wrestler and being a full-time wrestling promoter, Uh, and then seeing some of the stuff I've been working with other international companies or landing the uh, Fight Network deal, it's, uh, they've been very proud and supportive of that stuff too. And, uh, you know, it's it, it's been very cool. They've been consistently supportive. And I think uh, wrestling isn't something, it's not an industry where you can always show your body of work and show people, whether it's friends or family, like the, 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 the result of payoff, like year one, year two, year three, like that normal business yeah, right. sometimes it takes a decade to get there and you know but whether it was five years in 10 years in uh, or today they they've kind of seen the growth of what i've put in and, and you know they've been supportive and that's where i'm very lucky and i kind of like having that experience because uh, a lot of younger guys getting the business whether it's friends or significant others husbands wives or parents that don't support i, I can relate but i can also like uh tell them that you'd be surprised how supportive people are if they see your passion it's um it's funny it's like you're it's like you're reading my notes because that's a great transition uh so how do we go from you know you're you're training you're wrestling uh at squared circle uh you talked about tyson dukes the pillars i believe is the name of that faction how do you go from wrestling to then you're like you know what i want i'm i want to i want to be a booker i want to be a promoter i want to run my own company how, how do we bridge yeah. that gap uh well I, I never thought i was going to be a promoter truthfully uh that was never the plan it's uh, my wrestling school at the time uh, uh sports circle they had their brand of shows was bsc pro which originally started as blood sweat and years and then they they toned down the the as they were trying to work more corporate so they just kept it as bsc pro Uh, they had an opportunity where they uh, merged with uh, Border City in Windsor, and it was Maximum Pro at the time. And uh, there was members of uh, our side from our, our our management or our trainers that before the merger, others weren't. And you know, I'm not saying this in a negative context. The reality is, you know, we had a lot of cooks in the kitchen for better or worse. But when you make a merger, 
some of the cooks are happy, some of them aren't. And what happened is uh, a lot of the guys from our side, talent-wise, were either not being used or they're not happy with their spots. And I don't say that's a good decision or a bad decision. I'm just saying that's how that, it was. That's how it was, yeah. So um, there was talks of people wishing there was the BSC shows again or something on our side. And um, slightly prior to that, I ran two charity shows for the wrestling school. I always wanted to do something charity affiliate. And then the charity company mentioned, well, what resources do you have? Like everyone's going to run like a hockey game for a charity or a lemonade stand. It's like, what can you do that you have resources to? And I'm like, ah, oh, shit. That's, you know, I didn't want to do wrestling. I'm like, all right, let's give it a go. And it, it truthfully was very fulfilling and addicting doing that first show in my hometown. And uh, I gave it a second go as part of the merger. And after that, uh, I always figured I, it'd be like once every year to do a charity show. At that point, I'm like, there's an opening here. I'm like, you know what? I asked my trainer, can I run shows under the Squared Circle banner? I'll use all the students. I'll use all the alumni. So the guys without work from our side have, have a brand. Uh, you know, the Maximum Coast thing is still going. There's no issues there. It was just a chance to give our guys a stage. Yeah. And I did that. And, uh, you know, I, I put my time and effort into it and I worked hard. But I always felt reserved to go 120% because I did it with the intent of it being a platform for my wrestling school. So it's not the company name that I wanted. It's not the full roster that I envisioned. I had two extra uh, peers of mine who were friends of mine that were credible that I added. But beyond that, it was uh, the guy. A lot of it wasn't, you know, me at full blast. And I was really getting into uh, enjoying the promoting aspect of wrestling and the booking aspect just as much as the wrestling aspect and we had another uh, veteran wrestler who was co-running shows with me for the school and I knew that the school was in good hands having the shows up with him and uh, at that point I, I, I respectfully asked my trainer if I could run my own shows without any need and he was cool with that and that's when essentially the birth of Smash Wrestling started. I believe the first date for us was October 28, 2012 so somewhere in the summer I started started working on that first show, and uh, it, it was quite an interesting start because we had a very good first show. Everything that I wanted to check off about it being different from what's out there was checked off, but we what, had a modest ground. Those? And then by the second and third show, just started landing these crazy main events that I didn't, you know, this company's second show, the main event is Gargano versus Steen, and, like, uh, the semi-main event had, like, another stacked match, and... By the third or fourth show, we had AJ Styles versus Chris Hero or something, right. and it, it started picking up a lot of steam in our small venue. And I was, and truthfully, we're doing a lot of good things. But when you you accelerate that fast, there was a lot of learning on the go. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that, that's kind of how, how we go from wrestler to wrestler promoter, and uh, it's an interesting journey. It's uh, it's uh, it's had its challenges, but uh, I always believe that challenges to growth so uh no regrets there um yeah i was gonna ask about uh aj styles because i believe that uh spot that event in for smash wrestling was one of his first major matches after he was let go after he left impact i believe yeah the timing was very very uh very fortunate for us in a sense so the previous month uh chris hero was released and we had chris hero and we also, within that first year, had Lance Storm with us when we took the company up north 
So like uh, the Calodus essentially is uh, like the North Pole in, in some sense. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I had a connection there where events through my school were ran in the past and the guy who hosted the events uh, remained a friend of mine and he wanted to bring us up. And so uh, Lance Dorham worked with Tyson and Deuces. They had mutual respect for each other. And uh, I, I wanted to always, I knew that that was my end, that potentially I could get Lance to bite into another match in Toronto. And he was very selective about what he did. And I mentioned that Chris Hero's just release. He's going to be with us for his first show. It's going to be one of his first matches. And uh, Lance, thankfully, took a bite there. Uh -huh. And so we had an incredibly successful and large event, with, uh, which main evented with Chris Hero versus Lance Storm. And then uh, while we were promoting that event, AJ got released. And I noticed right away what a lot of, A, not a lot of people could afford that, too, if they were going to afford that. It's typically AJ Styles versus the local guy. Right. A, you want to give the rub to the local guy, which there's nothing wrong with that. B, you're already investing an arm and a leg and another leg into AJ. The odds of investing in another, you know, expensive talent is, is unlikely. But for me, it was like, as a promotion, having AJ was going to make you stand out already. But then if you have AJ versus another high-profile guy, you really stand out. Yeah, you're, you're gambling. You you're betting on yourself there. Yeah, so I sat there with uh, three or four of the original staffers we have, and uh, we're like, if we did AJ versus Hero, and we kind of projected what the rest of the budget could look like, to have it like, and you didn't want to waste if you wanted the rest of the cards to look strong. If everything else factored in, it's like, uh, it, we said, if we have to sell 400 tickets to break even for this whole show, and we truthfully should or could sell out that venue at like 280, 330. But there was some of the furniture we moved to sell out at like 280. So we're like, if we can really push our luck and get the rest of this uh, furniture and these pool tables and all this out of the way and put people here where it's near commentary and commentary is kind of smothered, <laughs> we can we, we think we can get to 400. And we we're kind of lying to ourselves because we're like, maybe it's going to be 350 to 375. But and we even decided that we got to move our merch table to the outside because uh, essentially it's a it's a rec room facility for gaming, and we where we created curtains in, in like a quarter dome, which was the entrance. One curtain was the fan entrance where, where the merch table was, and the other side was curtains where the restroom was entered. <laughs> so we sold the four hundred, and we're like, man, we have to sell out the show, which four hundred seemed very unrealistic, just to break even. There's no chance of making money. Right. And it was such a gutsy thing to do at that time with me just, you know, kind of give or take living paycheck to paycheck. But uh, the crazy thing is I was trying to tell my my, my web guy, who's our, our producer, um, to to shut down the ticket sales. And he's like, oh, you wanted me to shut down? And it's like, we sold 450. We're like, how are we going to fit these people in? And we're telling people not to come to the show. We're like, hey, we're sold out. Wow. Please don't come. And we're like, we're panicking how we're going to, 450 people so we're sure no one else is going to show up because we told them not to show um the lineup was so unreal that it went through the venue through the restaurant that normally people don't line up outside the venue around us so now we're like this is more than 400 apparently <laughs> another 120 people approximately were there and you want to tell them to, to, that they can't come in right because you know you're not going to be able to see them but you also don't want to burn the bridge with all these potential new fans and the, the opportunity of having such a buzzworthy event. And 
I remember the owner, which he wasn't at the, the venue owner, wasn't a bad guy, but he was very dry and very business oriented. So I was always like, I was on eggshells that this was a relatively new venue for us. I, I didn't want to burn the bridge. And he walks by and looks at it. He, and he's like, how many people are here? About 600. And I want to say yes, but I'm trying to like downplay it. And I'm like, shit, he's going to tell me something about the fire marshal yeah. or something. And he's like, and he was such a business savvy guy. You never started to swear. And he's like, I love this shit. And he walks away and I'm like, okay, we're letting those people in. And what we had to do was we took down the curtains where we typically allow the fans in and where the entrance was. And we had these kind of these flag banners with the wrestlers' faces on it. So now we have those other 150 people standing on the other side of where these curtains were. And the curtains were kind of attached to these metal wiring. So people have a view, but they're kind of like leaning on these like pillars of the building, essentially. Right. And the other side, like wrestlers are wondering where the entrance is. I'm like, Outside the locker room, the flags are literally going to be outside the locker room. You walk through, past the, out, out the doors, past these flags, and you're, and you're like, what's next? I'm like, there's going to be fans. And they're going to be watching from where you usually enter. <laughs> and it was it was crazy. It was, I guess, about 550, give or take. I hate throwing numbers in wrestling right. because they're always stretched, yeah. you know, to some extent. But, uh, yeah, like, we definitely well eclipsed that 400 capacity and then some. Um, uh, because we had the web sales I mentioned plus yeah. the extras at the door. But yeah, it was a very humbling and gratifying event. And it's like, it was just crazy because we had uh, AJ versus Euro. Then we had uh, Gargano versus Elgin in the double main event. We also had a three way with Matt Cross, Kyle O'Reilly, and one of our own, Scotty O'Shea. And then ACH was there with the carpool of people that came in and we added him to that three way. <laughs> And our two of our best guys, Brent Banks and Tarek, were essentially like amongst the best in Canada right now. They were the opener, and they just destroyed it in the opener. And there was a lot of other talent that I like I'm missing, but it was just a crazy card. And in a weird way, it was a very good lesson that you know, as even if you got the, the fans in with a draw, you want to. That's where you actually do have to invest a little more money because you want to have so much depth the car that you want to spotlight just not the main event but right. you want to spotlight everyone across the roster and that gives your guys an opportunity right they they may not be the local guy versus the name in the main event but the magnitude of the event and seeing so many other stars on the event if, if this match is killing it and this match is killing it and this match yeah, and then you have your guys killing it on par in match quality it gives your guys a lot more credibility too and they may be working other names on the card too as well just because it's not the one name in the main event and uh it's events like those that have been where i found that we always have new fans and more importantly we keep those new fans right it's hard to get them but yet this the next question is are they just here for the name and they're going to leave and right. we keep them and i think that's where you got to give them a reason beyond that name to come back which is your core roster and to some extent, if the full card is like that, you're selling a brand, you're selling an atmosphere, you're selling, an, you know, a, a fan experience, right? They see the production, they're like, oh, this is the production. Oh, every card was hot. Oh, these guys invest money beyond the main event. And then you're kind of selling the whole package, right? And, and these aren't things that I can say, oh, we were so smart. It's just things we learned along the way, just accelerating and Truthfully, you learn as much accelerating as you decelerate. <laughs> but when you accelerate, those are the fun and sexy stories to tell. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, is there any place we can see that that card with AJ and Hero and in the um, five hundred and fifty yeah, people? Or well, it's kind of an interesting time in the sense that prior to the pandemic, we were really set on kind of having a bit of a reset, and right. like we, we've had a lot of success with Smash over the years, but uh, we kind of off put some changes we wanted to make just because you're so busy from show to show that you can't work on the bigger picture stuff if you're worried about three to four shows every month. And there's also expectations from your fans and expectations from the roster and your staff as long as those shows keep going. So after our big SummerSlam, we were SummerSlam was here and we had a big weekend of hosting our own shows in some of uh, some of the other companies like Progress and WXW and, uh, you know, all the women's promotions. We did a big uh, uh, collaboration show. We, we did that. We're like, we're going to take three to four months off. We're kind of going to have a reset. We're going to have the smaller market shows, and we're going to work on the bigger picture future. And kind of in February, we were coming. We came back with a bit of a soft approach to our reset. We're like, all right, as much as we like the new brand or new identity, be it kind of a go in February. I know we weren't there. And I came to realize resetting something like this is a process. You can't put a deadline, and I can't say it'll be two months or six months. It may be two months, it may be two years, because it's not about how quick you turn around things, it's about getting the right things in place. Mm-hmm. And the reality as a business is whether it's culture, whether it's uh, getting certain, like, uh, even if it's not our missions, like landing a certain network deal or landing certain markets, uh, landing the right staff members, this stuff, you can't put a timeline on it. It's you get it done when you get it done. And so we're like, all right, we're going to kind of come back into a part-time schedule and then we're going to accelerate once we know everything's in place. And surely enough, the next month in March was when the pandemic hit. So the reason I'm kind of rambling about all this is we kind of put a break on uh, a lot of our content, but all our content, though, all our history from day one and beyond is on our Smash On Demand. Uh, so if people go to the smash-wrestling.com website or they type in Smash On Demand, uh, they can sign up. And our YouTube channel has been quite generous over the years to release a lot of our biggest matches. So I'm not sure if that match in particular would be up for free, but uh, you can definitely find uh, a lot of our content on YouTube and then on our on-demand state, uh, channel. But yeah, like um, we haven't obviously added much uh since the pandemic started for two reasons. One, you can't do much in the pandemic. And two, uh, we were in a reset. So like our mind isn't right now on what content we can put on that channel in the short term. It's on kind of building towards the future and the bigger picture stuff, which truthfully has been very exciting for me. It's in a weird way, the pandemic was a blessing. I wouldn't wish it happened. Right. But it, it, the unfortunate circumstances led to me taking my time in kind of rebuilding the company exactly how I want without a deadline, which is what you're supposed to do. So awesome. yeah, check us out on smash on demand, but uh, uh, that, that kind of indirectly answered like kind of where we're at right now, which for me, it, it's without any sarcasm. It's, it's as exciting a time as it has ever been for me as a promoter. It is. I, there's this freedom of kind of, you don't want to say you're starting from scratch for the wrong reason. You start from right. scratch because, um, you hear the cliches in and out of wrestling. You always got to be ahead of the curve. You you, you have to kind of, uh, you, 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 I think one of the dangers of wrestling, and it's 
it's not a knock on any style of wrestling, but we are a it's a copycat industry. People do yep. what's popular. Strong style is popular. Wrestlers do strong yep. style. Uh, a little more fast paced matches get popular. People do that, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's a point where you know comedy wrestlers pick up a bit, and yep. people are trying to dabble that, which is fine. Yep. I have no problem with that. But where you truly grow the industry and where you can make your own mark is when you're not doing what's popular. You're doing what's different, and the reality of doing what's different is in the initial steps, it's absolutely not going to be universally praised or accepted by everyone. You got to get your reps in and you got to be patient and you got to, it all starts with a certain group of fans or peers or, or whoever that put a spotlight on you and appreciate what you're doing. And that grows. Right. Yeah. And, and people subconsciously or consciously don't like that because it comes with a it comes with a bit of humility it comes with a bit of criticism and it requires taking a step or two back and people don't want to they don't I'll want change quote, i'll steal a quote i like but people uh they tend to overvalue the short term and undervalue the long term mm. and so you know yeah, uh, sure. i think for myself uh, I, i've been very blessed with a lot of success as a wrestler and a promoter and I wouldn't have any regrets, but my hypothetical regrets is that you got to sometimes play the long game. And um, I think sometimes in wrestling, what you do is you, you work towards getting it in with a company or you work a certain style. If it works, you're great, you're happy, you patch something on the back. But if it doesn't, you move on rather than stay the course and think about the big picture, right? Yeah. Uh, we're very reactive and sensitive people in this industry. Whether you're a wrestler, whether you're a fan, right? Yeah. You, you don't respond. You get to objections. <laughs> we went. We went full circle. Um, yeah. You you mentioned uh, you, you want those passionate fans. Uh, you know, you, you want to do something different. Um, and and I know Vanessa, my producer, has gone to a multiple of your shows uh, at Smash Wrestling. She's the one yeah. that that turned me on to you. Uh, your company and some of the some of the other guests we had when I was uh you know prepping for them, I watched their Smash matches. Um, but uh, Vanessa, what is it about a live Smash wrestling show that's so uh captivating? Well, they're always very like it's very entertaining, and I find like and like now like with AEW being a thing now, it's kind of that same. So it's a lot of action. But the stories make sense. So that's how it's different than AEW sometimes. So the stories that they tell. Now, mind you, I come in. So like the shows that they were performed in my town were like kind of one-off shows. So it's not like a full storyline compared to going to Toronto and seeing it all the time. Where there's like the full story. So you kind of got to go back and try and figure out what the full story is, is being told. But for the most part, it was great. Great characters like Halal Beefcake. They're phenomenal. Love them. <laughs> oh, they're so good. And I then they and then they turned to bad guys, and I was like, ah, oh, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> they're the best. Uh, yeah, like uh, we've always had that reputation of being uh, a high impact, high energy company, lots lots of athletics. You know that your cliche indie, like you know, big athletic style company. And the reality of that is, we've taken pride in bringing the best from different markets right but at the end of the day we knew that you know just because we're using them doesn't mean we're unique other people use these guys too so our focus was well let's give them unique storylines let's give them 
production that they wouldn't have elsewhere. Let's see if we can give them a custom theme song. Let's see if we can kind of have a vignette or have them do a promo and we can add some video editing to it. So whether it's on the production front, whether it's on the storyline front, um, you know, it's not so much a pat on the back for us. I think it's a two-way street where we've, we've probably given a commitment to that forefront beyond the in-ring wrestling. But the other part is when we do that, the wrestlers have to do the other half, right? So I can give you a few examples and it's the credit goes all to the wrestlers. But at the end of the day, um, someone like Kevin Bennett, we can say, hey, you should, you're a real life rapper. You have this unreal talent and you should do that in the ring and you should do diss tracks instead of promos. And when he buys into it, like that's us, you know, trying to think beyond the in-ring talent because we know he can go. Mm-hmm. But then he has to go all in and provide an awesome theme song that's his custom theme song. He has to go in there and get comfortable, like, you know, getting this unreal hatred from the fans. He has to go in the ring and understand that having pitching, that having bodyguards will complete the package. He has to write, record, produce, engineer a diss track that is much more difficult than just doing a promo for 90 seconds, right? And he provides that to us, and it looks like a full-on music video where he's disrespecting his opponent or, you know, whoever. And that that looks larger than life. That looks bigger than what you'd see on an indie show. And we and I think what if we were to give ourselves a pat on the back is we we're not perfect, but we try to enable people to reach their potential where we see it, right? Obviously, and you got to be humble. It's like who we think has potential is always going to be subjective, right? Who I and you guys and certain fans and some of my peers and even people on my staff, we're all going to be subjectively different, right? Uh, when, but when we see that opportunity, we do our best to see, to give them a ball to run with. And another good example is Psycho Mike. There's like no better example okay. of a guy who is so, such a good wrestler. I was he, just going to bring him up. He's a technical wrestler. Is how he trained and he was actively a wrestler and went to a second school to polish up more and be even more credible. And he's an, but like, despite that, he's also an incredible because he's one of the best bodies on the roster. He's incredibly professional and has a work ethic next to none in and out of wrestling. A guy who's incredibly funny, a guy who not just is funny and just looking for the cheap pops, but adds all these Easter egg elements and says, Hey, what if I, I talk to my conscious, but you guys can hear him over the speaker? You know, what if, you know, we do this and then three months from now, that Easter egg is in the match. Like yeah. who, who is thinking of continuity and, you know, yeah. stuff like that. I think I value a lot just because uh, guy, you know, I think some wrestlers bring so much value as a booker because um, they're a wrestler, they get it. And then some people come from a business background and they may not be a wrestler, but they bring something the wrestler doesn't have. Um, and I think like having a bit of both worlds has allowed me to appreciate when people do something on the business front, but also appreciate on the wrestling front. A guy like Psycho Mike, as a fan, I always appreciate it when I saw continuity in storylines or, or something, the little details, right? Yeah. And I truthfully think most fans don't notice or care about that stuff. But I think when you do that, the poor audience recognizes that. And I understand there may be just 10% of the audience, but you also got to understand they're the loudest and they're the most committed, right? So what happens is they can quite often 
educate the rest of the audience. And I don't want to say the rest of the audience is a sheep, but they're coaching the rest of the audience. So if 10% of the audience really buys into Cycle Mike's Axe and gets it and has been along on the ride and they, they see the continuity and the little Easter eggs, they will support that tenfold. And the, as long as the rest of the crowd isn't insulted and they buy into it, they will be led by that diehard fan base. And I think that's where we have been successful. And it's not so much on us, it's us trying to give credit to the talent that here's a guy who gets it. Why should I look at Psycho Mike and say, I'm going to tell you what to do. This is what you do best. Yeah. I'm, I'd like to give you the ball to do what you do best. It's like, sorry to deviate from wrestling, but it's like, I, th I think it was, uh, Steve Jobs, or one of the big guys in Apple or Microsoft, they said, or even Google possibly, uh, they said, we don't hire the best people at a certain position to tell them what to do. We hire them so they can tell us what to do, you know. Yep. It, they, and it really made me realize how much you can, if someone's really good, you value them. And it reminds me of going back to AJ and Hero. They asked me what you want, and I said, Respect, respectfully, gentlemen. You two are some of the best at this in the world. It's not my place to do what you guys. I booked you because these people want to see what you guys can do. So I recommended 18 minutes, but beyond that, this is your canvas. That is your stage. Go do what you guys think will tear the house down. You yeah. know, and yeah. I think you know whether it's that situation or something with like let's say a cycle Mike or Kevin Bennett, putting faith in people to deliver. I think that in itself buys you a lot of respect and trust with, with talent i think and you can't necessarily give him you know give him a ball and give him faith and shit on them if it doesn't fly you know no one's perfect i think part of it is like let's say with psycho mike i'll give him a ball five times he'll probably knock it out of the park four or five times but if he does it four times and he doesn't the other time i can't be there saying well that sucked you know i, I trusted you it's like hey don't worry like you gave it a good effort you kill it more often than not, mm -hmm. I'm going to put faith in you again. I mean, it sure, it becomes a conversation if they don't knock it out of the park three right. or four times, right? But I think an important thing is is to not micromanage and put faith in people. And I think you will get a lot more out of them that way. And, it, you know, you it's, it's one thing I think bookers don't have to control everything. You already get to dictate a lot, which is awesome in itself. It's fun. <laughs> But you don't have to control everything. It's okay to like Halal Beefcake's another example. Like the, those guys, I think I didn't even notice they did that act for one promotion for like two shows, and I saw the entrances and like the flexing, and I already like both of them as friends. And I saw it twice, and I just presumed this was a thing. <laughs> and I'm like, I need, I need to have you guys on the show this Halal Beefcake. And I'm like, man, you guys kill. Like, 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 how often you guys do this? You're like, you just did it twice for that one promotion. Like, what? Like, are you kidding me? This is like the greatest thing I've ever witnessed. You guys need to do this all the time. And like, uh, they always, they, they always like, if I have a planned promo for them, they go do it. But if they're, if, if I have a spot for them and it doesn't say promo, they'll always come to me with that smirk and they're like, like, you guys want to do a promo? They're like, yeah. I'm like, <laughs> and part of me is like very structured. I'm like, well, it's not on the sheet. I had the shit ahead of time. But it's like, this is what these guys love and they don't do it for the sake of doing it. They really value their characters and it, it, they want to establish it. Even if most of the crowd's familiar, if there's 50 new fans that haven't seen the act, they really want those 50 fans to understand it. So, you know, I, I give them that ball and they, you know, you kind of forget how something so little right. means a lot. And they're like, thanks for always trusting us with the mic. I'm like, oh shit, this, this meant a lot. So yeah. It's like, that's awesome. Like, 
for me, it's just saying, yeah, you guys are good at that. Uh, thanks for asking. <laughs> wow. That's great. That is good stuff. Trusting in people, man. People need to do a little more of that these days. But, um, I, I, so as a wrestler, you're known, I, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong. You're known as the endorsement. That's correct. I've had my evolutionary stages like a Pokemon. Yeah, exactly. Uh, do people put still put stuff on your junk or trunk? Yeah, no, no you know, that's, uh, I'll be truthful with you. So, like, uh, <laughs> when I did the endorsement thing, before that, I was a little unhappy before I was as a wrestler because I was putting way too much time in as the promoter with yeah. Smash Accelerator. Okay. It was a bit of, a, like, a personal crisis moment where I'm like, I'm not in as good shape as I was because it's like push or pull. Like I'm at home, there's, there's a show coming up or I need to book a name. Do I go work out or do I work on Smash? And nine out of 10 times with Smash, it's like, and putting time like that, you don't really even eat properly or sleep properly sometimes. And, yeah. Uh, I take so much pride in being a wrestler. You know, some promoters aren't wrestlers or some just transition out or some understand that it's a part-time thing while they mostly promote. For me, it's like, I was always a good wrestler and I always like was climbing the ranks. And then when I became a promoter, I don't think I was ready for how much time I was investing in it. Right. It, it, originally I'd say it's pretty much like a full-time job. And eventually I'm like, it is my full-time job. And then some, you know, I'm putting actual 60 hours when some people may say, oh, I work like 60 hours. And they no, I'm like, I'm actually working 60 hours. It's like, it's killing me. Right. And, um, so at that point, I won. I, and, and the other part was, I I don't want to say because it it's like, it's a little egocentric to like say, hey, you're, I didn't like pushing myself because I always wanted to take care of the other talent. Or, but I never wanted that impression with my peers or the fans that this guy pushes himself or gives him a name. So, But to some extent, that almost also became a detriment where I wasn't placing a value on myself where I was giving the rest of the roster a cycle of opportunities. And I'm like, you know what, like, I need to invest in myself as a wrestler without reducing the promoting hours, because I know, like, that's where my mind is, so it kind of, I gave, gave myself an out where my character walked away, and after a few months, I came back, and I was like, I don't know when I'm going to come back, but when I come back, it's it could be a month, it could be six months, I got to know the right character, and so I'm like, yeah, I think I got this idea, you know, maybe I'll be a beatboxer, yeah, that's a great idea, and then, like, two minutes later, I'm like, that's terrible, <laughs> you know, like, It'll work for someone else, but it won't work for me. And then I kept thinking, and then I'm when the sponsored athlete thing came out, I'm like, I'm chasing sponsors as a promoter anyways. Like, I grew up playing sports. I'm like, yeah, I I can, and, you know, I gravitate generally towards being an obnoxious heel, not a badass, monstrous heel, not like, you know, and I love technical wrestling training, but, like, my bread and butter was always finding a comfort zone and being the obnoxious heel. I'm like, this character is an obnoxious heel. I can work with it. Part of the commitment was, all right, I'm like, I'm working on my physique, I'm working on all the other stuff, but I'm going to develop some new move sets when I come back, and I'm going to implement a new move per match so fans, you see me every show, and know my move sets are like, oh, okay, he's a bit of, he's got a different character, but he's also got different moves. He has a manager now who plugs him, and then like, it was kind of fun, because I'd have a few small level sponsors, and then I'd have in the middle of the match, I throw my opponent out the ring, and my manager would send everyone to the TV screen for the mid-match commercial, commercial and yeah. it, it would relate to mocking my opponent. And then 
we tell people to go to sponsorswap.com and there's an actual site there for people to apply for sponsorship. Just little, and it was fun because I'm like, all right, I'm investing in the creative yes. aspect of my character just the same way I do as a promoter or booker. And it started feeling good. And then uh, we started growing again and I did the same thing where my character was fresh, but I'm like, I'm not getting new sponsors. I'm not adding new, like, I'm not getting new tights. I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm once again investing all my focus in the promoter. And when, when February, uh, that reset came, the reset for Smash kind of went in line with the reset for me as the wrestler. I'm like, all right, great. I'm going to come back as this. Uh, I'm still the sponsored athlete, but now it's going to have a bit of a new look. Now I'm without the manager. Uh, now I'm going to have a big flag. I'm going to have my, my tights. I'm like, I don't want to wear wrestling tights anymore. I'm going to look like a NASCAR driver. I'm going to have like athletic, like Under Armour compression clothes and I'm going to have uh, the sponsor's name and logo on the stuff, and I'm going to approach the wrestling very different. And it was exciting that I, I, I didn't need a killer match. I essentially uh, squashed two people uh, in a, like, I have three opponents. I'm going to beat them all three. Each victory will give me extra money for my sponsors. You know, uh, I get, uh, I get you know, X dollars per win. And then the third one, everyone's assuming it's going to be another joke opponent. And it was Brent Banks, you know, oh. longtime pillar, fellow pillar and rival. And uh, I slapped him in the face. And I'm like, I played it as a sponsored character. Right? I was like, you want me to give this match away without the big spotlight, without the big pay-per-view kind of stage? It's like, you want to give this match up after all these years on the fly without any advertising? And then I said, yes, but before I get shake by, I slapped him, I ran out, they counted me at 10. I'm like, it was just fun because like, that's me getting back into the character. It's like, I don't need to go on an indie show and have the best match. I'm yeah. like, I'm going to introduce this new character and I'm going to find a reason for people to boo me because I didn't give him uh, the Brent Banks experience, right? Uh, he, he, he answered another call later that night, so people still got him. But it, it was kind of like, I was very excited about that and I was ready to kind of like put the you know, pedal to metal kind of on, on the evolution there with uh, the, the character and the sponsors. But uh, COVID happened and now uh, we're back to uh, the point where, you know, it's it's a dual reset on the character and the promoter. Truth what I think when we come back, even if people were rocking, like you should come back with something a little new. It doesn't have to be the whole character because fans are going to appreciate you know, and, and wrestling no matter what, but just you know, giving people something new, it gives them an extra element of surprise and will probably give people an extra reason to smile. Yeah. For sure. The main thing is just not to split all of these cakes so we don't devastate Vanessa, you know. We don't want to <laughs> ruin it. Those guys. Hello Beefcake and the Von Erics. Can't separate yeah. them. Yeah. If you've ever seen the Halal, or anyone listening, the Halal Beefcake vignettes, uh, especially at the Smash Wrestling with the World Oil Machines, they, they oh had my goodness, yes. like, <laughs> like there's certain times in smash where you end up seeing every wrestler and staff member not in position peeking through the curtains out in the course someone just blatantly standing at production others backstage at the tv screen like like people aren't even holding their children they're like just focused on the screen they're like just we're gonna watch halal beef or we're gonna watch cycle mike like everyone's in, in for a good time <laughs> and those guys usually create fun moments like that. Uh, that particular moment where we had a montage with Wello Machines uh, to, to be a, it was actually a, the, the short story of it is it was our hundredth show and we decided to do it as a complete mystery show. And oh, they were the cool. third surprise team in a tag match. And that was the night where 
Like the first time we tinkered with our super baby face uh, OL beefcake guys going heel. And I'm like, well, this match has like three baby face teams. How is this going to work? I'm like, Ugh. I'm like, I, and I don't want to take any of these guys out and the card's already full. I'm like, I go to the beefcake. I'm like, how do you guys feel about being heels for one night? They're like, well, how do we do that? I'm like, you guys are so ridiculous. Why don't you just literally say, you know, <laughs> we haven't won the last few matches. We're going to try something different. We are going to be heels. Bad guys, Joe. That's what we're going to do. You know, there's a hilarious promo. And the, 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 the second the, the crowd saw that they were kind of like, it was a, like everyone's in on the joke kind of thing. They, they they went along with it and it was fun. And that's the great thing about those guys. I think whether they're baby faces or heels, they, they still managed to put a smile on people's faces. For sure. For sure. Um, anyways, though, Sebastian, um, we are we're nearing the end of the show. Or at least I've gone past our, our normal times, but that's okay because it was a great conversation. Uh, right on, I appreciate that. Yeah, for sure. I feel like we. I I feel like I didn't even scratch the surface on a lot of different uh, aspects of promoting and, and you as a wrestler in general. Uh, but oh, and can I also add thank yes. you for spotlighting women's wrestling and giving them time on your shows because oh. not a lot of promoters do that, and I greatly appreciate it. It's really like we we prioritize that from the beginning and. Uh... There was a short period in our tail end uh, a year or two ago where that slowed down, and I'd like to speak about that. So, like, from the beginning, two things I wanted to emphasize. I'm like, wrestling, like, when I started smashing, like, wrestling's great. There's so many good matches, so many good times, but it's, like, it's all male wrestlers and singles matches. And I'm like, there's no emphasis on tag wrestling and on women's wrestling. I'm like, let's have at it. And that was where we were really lucky, where uh, I had – I shared locker rooms with Vanessa Craven in the past. I'm like, I don't know why she hasn't been brought to Ontario in years. And I'm like, we're going to have her on the show since day one. And then we had Vanessa Craven. And then, you know, by the time we had Matt Cross and Johnny Gargano, I'm like, whoa, we can have Candice LeRae on these yeah. shows. And then Kimberly. And then, it, you know, we luckily have good rapport as Ontario girls with Rosemary and Ali. And it's just kind of the combination of your networks and your geography and, you know, being consistent. I think that's the biggest thing is, uh, people undervalue the the value of consistency. You know, like our women's wrestling, I think it's, and if others try to kind of spotlight the stage, it's great to put on a great match or a high-profile women's match. But the, I think the secret sauce is being consistent. It's like, even if you don't have the, the name or the top-level female talents, the next show, well, give your local girls the spotlight for the next show. Just be consistent. And over time, that's how you're in people's trust. We're like, yeah, they've been, and we were fortunate to like have a lot of shows where we had two women's matches a show, and uh, we always committed to the Canusa brand. Uh, you know, and for me, the Canusa Classic is one of the proudest things for us to smash wrestling. It's just not that it highlights women's wrestling; it's that for me, it's like it's tough for the male Canadian wrestlers to get a spotlight. So for me, it was like it's it's infinitely tougher for the female Canadian wrestlers. So I'm like, so mm-hmm. rather than have them on the lower ends of the card uh, on a card stack with all these. American female wrestlers that are more branded with shimmer and shine and TV. It's like, let's have the Americans go versus the Canadians. Mm. And that way, every Canadian uh, female wrestler has, uh, you know, a notable and respectful adversary and uh, gets a bit of a spotlight of their own. And that's something that we've had a lot of fun with over the years. But something that kind of has worked uh, against us is that. And it's, it's out of good reasons. A lot of the Canadian females either got signed or they relocated to the U.S. Uh, and a few kind of like uh, retired or moved on, unfortunately. But 
we we have a certain level of expectation for what a smash card has to be and a lot of these girls are gone and then you had girls who were like rookies or students and we there's certain cards where we have these talents on our shows and we give them reps but it was really hard to follow up the expectations of what a Candice LeRae and a Lufisto and thankfully you know Lufisto was back in Canada so we, we had we had her back in our circles but it's something that I, I, I am more excited for now coming back because we have to give a lot of credit to the girls in Canada over the last two, three years. Uh, there was an opening for some girls to take the ball and run with it. And I think uh, every one of them that started getting, you know, their uh, their feet out there with several promotions, every single one of them started improving and accelerating very well. So uh, one thing I'm excited for when things are back, it's just not women's wrestling, it's smash wrestling, but even outside of smash wrestling, it'll be exciting to see who can grab the ball and who can get some spotlight uh, on the Canadian scene. Awesome. And, and since this, it is a silver lining, this whole shutdown and pandemic, because since this, I've been able to crank up some more of the shows and, uh, you know, I brought Vanessa on board and my eyes have, and I've said this a thousand times, my eyes have been uh, shown the light or whatever, uh, I've learned that Canadian wrestling is huge. Like there is a big Canadian wrestling scene as one third of the daughters of anarchy is up and down here in the bar. Please <laughs> come around. Uh, but yeah, it is definitely a blessing in disguise. Um, but yeah. yeah like, uh, unfortunately, you know, like it, it's very tragic, but like uh, yeah. the mindset I've taken to is almost any unfortunate situation in all our lives, you know, you have to find the silver linings. And I, I firmly believe that there's always, you know, your best growth is in hardship and in times that, you know, you, you're kind of forced to adapt to a learning curve. My kids are worse. <laughs> That's nothing. I, I run a weekly seminar and I have like these very important guests that like are from big companies yeah. and my kids try to turn off the computer. They know which button. They, they smack my face. Mind you, one just two and a half. Yeah. So yeah, at least you have a very, very respectful young lady there that's, you know, just being curious. My boys are animals. Yeah, I have three daughters, 11, 8, and how old are you? Four. Yeah. Uh, he says you're very well behaved and you're, you're just yeah, – my, my boys can learn from you. Uh, she's awake because she took a nice uh, – how long was your nap today? You don't know, no. That's that's my that's my advice to any parent or future parent out there. I know a lot of people will disagree with this. Do not allow naps. They tell you naps are good. Yeah. Just let them grind it out so they can sleep at a normal time. Because my boys, maybe it's just my boys, but when my boys even nap for one hour, they're up to like eleven. Like I have grown adults sleeping and they're still awake. But my boys, they'll go relatively go down at a healthy time and get their proper, you know, yeah. 11 or 12 hours if, if they don't get the, the midday nap is, is my enemy. The yeah. second I see them rubbing their eyes, I'm like, we're going to throw some snowballs. <laughs> we're going to listen to some rock and roll. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> we're going to do some airplane spins. Let's get some sugar in you. <laughs> uh, she, the, the two older ones were never like that. The two older ones, especially my middle daughter, she could, yeah. she could, she could sleep anytime. She could take a nap all day and go to bed at the regular time. The older one, fine. Uh, this one here, she doesn't normally take a nap. She got out of naps. This pandemic, she stopped going to preschool and in this and that. 
She got out of the naps. So she, when she took one today, a little longer than normal, this is the outcome. And, uh, yeah, but yeah, I agree. Uh, try to keep them awake if you can. If they fall asleep, though, don't wake them up, I guess. I don't really know. <laughs> got trouble putting them to sleep. Just show them a Sebastian Swamp wrestling match and they'll fall asleep within seconds. <laughs> yeah. You want- uh, I, I'm, I'm improving lives day by day like that. <laughs> Do you do you want to watch wrestling to fall asleep? Dad. Yeah, my matches are very boring. You're gonna fall asleep within like ten seconds. Um, but anyway, Sebastian, uh, th- we're at the, we're at the end of the show. We're at the end of, of the spot where I'm gonna I'm gonna give you the mic now. You have the floor. You can put over anything you want. Uh, yeah, you Rick, can. I'd love yeah, to go ahead. over the backdrop. I love uh, the, the the sports bar, the beverage. Uh, you know. I'm a Blue Jays fan, but you know I'll respect the Bo Sox uh, in the backdrop yeah. there. Uh, yeah, I've been I've been uh, semi envious of your setup there because uh, uh, despite having the itch to put something together like that, my kids would wreck it. Uh, just a side story. I, my boys have already. One of my boys ripped one of the PWI 500 magazines I was ranked in, oh. and I'm like, okay. Oh, the other no. one saw my SummerSlam chair from when I was a teenager in row two, yeah. and. Uh, they were trying to use that chair to jump off of them. Like, that's a collectible. So I'm terrified of, the, you know, building my own, like, man cave or sports yeah. bar because, yeah. like I told you, my boys are animals. Yeah. And if I set anything up, it's going to be to be destroyed. It's uh, and <laughs> but, I can... uh, lovely setup you have there. That's, that's, that's more important. That's now. how my wife got me to move here. Uh, I never wanted to move. And this is uh, when she showed me the house. This is the first place she brought me. She had me stand behind this bar yeah. and – and said and and she sold me and uh if i could show you behind the camera here it's like i mean for football season it's great and and all that and then over there it's kind of like you know a little movie area where the girls can do their thing uh but they do come back here they they mess with the noms that's why audio doesn't work a half the time they move the camera uh and all that fun stuff but uh that's a whole other show altogether. That's Parenting 316. That's going to be the spinoff show from putting you over. Parenting 316. Uh, yes, I just I just trademarked that. But anyway, Sebastian, um, I appreciate you coming on and informing us on a lot of stuff. It was a great conversation. Um, and, and, any, and Vanessa, any final words? No, I'm good. This is Smash. This is, this yeah. is Smash. Yeah, great name. Uh, wearing those extra yeah. small shirts. By the way, that's that's how we line up. I'm gonna rant about Joe Coleman. Yeah. These guys buy T-shirts, then they end up using they cut it and only use 20% of the fabric, <laughs> which is criminal. It's such a waste of money that you cut 80% of the damn cloth. So a shirt is not even covering your stomach, not even covering your upper pecs, is not covering your lower pecs. It's barely clothing, and the string part of the shirt is nearly three quarters of a shirt. It's not even a t-shirt. These guys are animals who do not appreciate, you know, good quality cloth and material. They just cut everything off. They, they don't, they refuse to come out without shirts. They're like, no, we got to wear our shirts and promote ourselves. I'm like, the words halal beefcake can barely fit on the shirt because you've cut off all the material. That's my rant. Those guys are animals and they need to be controlled. They need to create like a midriff shirt. There you go. <laughs> Uh, All right. I, I just I'll close out on saying thank you guys for giving me uh, the stage uh, to to come be your guest. One of the 
you know, I've been very thankful to not deal with any, you know, mental fatigue or anything like that during the pandemic. That's been a rough on a lot of people. But one thing that's been therapeutic for me is doing my weekly seminars. It's like, sure, we're educating a lot of the young trainees, young workers in our classes, but almost the majority of the guests are my peers and colleagues that I have good rapport with or I kind of met once or twice. And it's like I'm catching up with people and talking shop with with friends. And I find that at least with every seminar, I'm learning one or two things myself. So it's like even a bonus for me. And I, I treat this like that where it's something that in a time like this where you have no idea when you come back, yeah. it's nice to talk shop and talk wrestling with whether it's peers, whether it's fans, whether it's, you know, grinders like yourselves who are putting out, you know, a show for others. So, you know, thank you for putting a platform like this together and for giving me a chance to be here. And I sincerely mean it that anytime you guys want to talk shop, then, you know, my kids stay in bed. <laughs> Uh, I'll be happy to make that. For sure, man. Yeah, the door is always open. We appreciate you coming by. Anya, would you like to say anything? You want to say goodnight? He's leaving. No? No, she's she is not having it. She's not putting you over. Anyway, Sebastian, thanks for coming by. We'll talk to you soon. Take care. Thanks, later. Guys. Later. Oh, look at those Canadian signs. Uh <laughs>